Hey there, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. It has been a minute since I posted an episode, but that is all about to change. I have got a ton of content in the hopper for you guys, and some of these interviews are doozies. Uh, we'll get back to this episode in just a minute, but coming up, I have got conversations with Instagram's Purist on the Fly, uh, a meme fly fishing commentary account where we talk about all things fly fishing, conservation, outdoor ethics, and more. Uh, after that, we do our very first podcast outdoors with my first return guest, Casey Heater from Kentucky. This was a special episode because we actually recorded at our campsite while backpacking in the Red River Gorge in Kentucky back in April. So uh, first episode with uh, Pierce and the Fly, second one with Casey from Kentucky. And then thirdly, uh, and after that, we're going to hear from Sarah and I's wedding photographer, Allie Boundy. Allie is a specialist in destination weddings, and we found her through episode 12 guest, Katie N., surprisingly, uh, after she posted a photo shoot they were doing on Instagram one morning, and we just kind of connected the dots. So uh, Allie has been an incredible resource for Sarah and I already, and she and I had a really fun conversation about her career, how she got started, gear, finding clients, all that fun stuff. Uh, if you haven't checked out the YouTube channel for Outdoors Podcast recently, go check that out. I have a couple new trip videos coming out super shortly, and we just launched a video about our RV renovation project with a bunch of before and after stuff. It's a pretty awesome look at our bus, Doris, if I do say so myself. Lastly, before we jump into this episode with Augie, Jack, and Ed, uh, don't forget to follow Outdoors Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you don't already. I do share unique content on each platform, and it really kind of gives you all the updates and kind of the total view of the channel if you do. So uh, follow on all those platforms. Uh, so let's get into this episode. I am continuing my new series of interviews with professional fly fishing guides. This has really been fun. Uh, I'm calling the series or stories. I'm pretty pumped about it. Uh, when I started Outdoors Podcast, this was literally the episode I envisioned it becoming. I had three friends in my living room drinking beers and whiskey, uh, shooting the shit, just teaching each other stuff along the way. It was fucking awesome. Uh, Augie Nickmeyer of Missouri Fly Life Guide Co. is really the the focus of our conversation. And he launches his guiding career and really builds on what was a really successful 2020 for him. He's going to be kind of doing a ton of guiding in 2021, and we're really pumped for uh, everybody that gets to fish with him, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great, great season for him. So uh, my friends Jack Donzi and returning guest Ed Kimmel joined the show, and we had just an absolute blast. Uh, we talked about how Augie got into fly fishing, what made him want to be a guide. We talk about gear, his boat. We talk about fishing ethics and what makes a great client. We, we talk about all kinds of good stuff. This is just a fantastic episode. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right, well, joining me on the podcast today is a buddy of mine that I met through our uh, efforts to implant a population of wild brown trout in Westover Farms Dry Creek earlier this year. If you haven't seen that episode, check it out on my YouTube channel. Uh, but joining me today, and I'm probably going to even screw up your first, your last name uh, to start things off, but I'm guessing it's Augie Nickmeyer? Yep. Yeah. All right, yeah, you nailed it. it. Bam, got it. <laughs> yeah. All right, sounds good. Um, well, so you and I met there on that day, uh -huh. uh, talked a little bit about, you know, kind of your, your entry into the world of being a fly fishing guide. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about how you got into that, how you got started, what you're doing as a fly fishing guide, all that kind of stuff. So I invited you to come over to the house and then we got ambushed because I invited them. So we didn't really get ambushed, but I invited a couple of buddies <laughs> over and due to a lack of, of scheduling, um, validity on my time we ended up having a four-person podcast so four-way four we've got a four-way <laughs> going on tonight so also joining us on the podcast is my Not buddy my jack Gonzi, uh and then my buddy uh ed ed joined us uh on what episode can i remember you were on ed kimmel you were probably episode like nine or ten or eleven or somewhere in that range i think it was single digits gotcha gotcha so uh if you watched our my recent fly fishing video on westover farms ed was there with me yeah, I was there. uh and we've also done some group backpacking trips so uh ed's kind of nice. been around since the the beginning of the channel so he's one of the ogs so augie we welcome go. jack welcome ed welcome to the channel buddies thanks sir yeah thank you thank you sir nice so augie let me kind of get started with you because that's kind of the focus of the episode so tell me about kind of your background in fishing how did you get started in fishing is this a family thing or did you just catch this yourself uh it's definitely a family thing 
Um, I grew up fishing the rivers around us, mostly gear uh, for smallmouth and that growing up. A little bit of farm pond stuff, too. Uh, and then in college, uh, we were going out west for a trip, and Dad was like, all right, now it's time that you learn to fish for real and pick up a fly rod. So, you know, trout was kind of what I started with the fly rod. And then just kind of went crazy from there when I came, when we were back from that trip. Gotcha, gotcha. And I mean, in just doing a little bit of talking about your guiding service and looking over your website, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems like the focus of your guiding service is on smallmouth bass and, you know, kind of the streams and the rivers that surround Missouri and and kind of St. Louis that are are local to St. Louis. Uh Uh, What is it about smallmouth that got you super pumped and kind of wanting to focus your guiding service on that? Um, a good part of it's just kind of the opportunities. I love trout probably as much as any fly fisherman does. Um, but there's somewhat limited opportunities for quality trout fishing close by. There's not a ton of great options. Um, but I live 15 minutes from, you know, places where I can on any given day probably have shots at, at trophy size smallmouth, uh, you know, or at least I know they're there. So, you know, there's a great opportunity there. Um, And then as I got more into fly fishing, I really like fishing the big flies, you know, seeing the the visual eats and all that is a blast. And smallmouth are pretty much just like a warm water brown trout. So they pretty much will eat a big fly, you know, any day of the week. Whereas sometimes the browns, they're a little temperamental. You know, they don't always eat what you want them to eat. But. Yeah, there's there's three meat chuckers in the room for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would say that that of you guys, uh, or of all the people that I hang out with at Fish, you guys definitely like to throw the big stuff the most. I mean, Jack, uh, when we first started coming to class, Ed and I, you know, over the last couple of years, we'd started to go to the fly tying class. Like, it seemed like the stuff you were bringing in from home a lot was, like, mouse patterns with, like, shaved deer heads and all kinds of stuff like that. Like, you've been tying bigger stuff for a while, right? Yeah, streamers just, they're just fun to tie, and they're just fun to throw. I mean, big fish. You go through phases, right, like, of your fishing, whatever, where you graduate from catching a couple trout to catching a bunch of trout to catching bigger fish to catching huge fish, and then maybe it's, you graduate further than that, which maybe I'm not past that yet. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I know what you mean. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you get into this, you know, I think sometimes the bigger, you know, I think it's in same with like throwing gear though. Like sometimes the bigger the bait, the bigger the fish. And I think that speaks a lot of volume when it comes to trout fishing, especially for brown trout and, you know, smallmouth too sometimes. So mm-hmm. anyway, but yeah. I mean, I mean, having that focus on some of those kind of bigger, harder fighting fish, can you guys still enjoy going like small creaking for little wild trout like stuff like that because i know you and like Ed, you and i are Definitely. super into that but like no i mean i'll go to some forward. of our small spring creek stuff and i can get off just as much on catching seven inch fish on three weights and dry flies as you know it's just the men it's your mentality that morning and how you're feeling before you go out fishing like do i want to go wear my arm out all day for one fish maybe mm-hmm. for <laughs> right. that one shot or do I want to go relax. Right. It's a totally yeah. different mental approach before you even get to the water, before you plan your weekend, right? For I sure. Think, so. For sure. I mean, Augie, when you go out guiding, I mean, like, what's kind of your focus when you're thinking about how to take care of clients? Like, what are you, what are you really trying to make sure that they achieve on, you know, on a day of guiding with you? Uh, that kind of starts before the trip, you know, and, you know, normally weeks before we even go on the trip and it's kind of based on their expectations so you know first of all i just want to make sure people have a good time on the water enjoy the scenery the camaraderie all that sort of thing um and you know and then from there then we kind of look at the fishing and you know what's their goal do they want to go out and try to you know try to find the 18 inch smallmouth or or something or do they just want to go you know catch a bunch of 10 to 12 inch fish and have a good time getting a rod bent you know um you know, some days you don't get to do either one of those things. Some days are tough, but so you got to manage expectations a little bit too. You know, that's fishing. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. fishing. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Augie. Like when when a client calls you for mm-hmm. a guide trip and you're going through like you know the expectation list or whatever, mm-hmm. do you ask them like, hey, on a scale of one to ten at casting, where do you put yourself? Or have you thrown? sinking lines and big Mm -hmm. flies do you ask those questions (laughs) to to a certain extent yeah you know i try to feel that out to you know to a certain degree um you know because you know most people are pretty upfront with where they're at you know normally it comes out pretty quick 
and you know, and I don't even really have to ask further. You can normally read. Sure. And and then you know, then you know, get you get there the day of, and it's pretty easy to adjust for what people need. Right. You know, but you know, normally I'll figure out on the phone like. Okay, is the day going to start with an hour casting class on the bank before we right. set Right. Well, I would just I would I would assume, <laughs> you know, like you're like scale of 1 to 10, 10 being, you know, you're bombing 90 footers like blindfolded mm-hmm. one right. false cast. If they're saying they're like a 7, they're probably actually a 5. That's yeah, that's definitely you know, how it so goes. It's, yeah, that's what I would assume. <laughs> no, that's definitely how it goes. Yeah. Like <laughs> Would would you say that the average client that you have overestimates their ability, underestimates their ability, or is pretty accurate? So far, most of them have been pretty accurate. Um, I expect that to change at some point, you know, just the more that I do. The vast majority of my clients that I've taken out thus far um, have been very new to the sport and very clear and upfront about that. Most of them, you know, want to catch smallmouth because they grew up catching them on spinning rods and now they want to learn how to use a fly rod, uh, you know, or they just got into fly fishing because they just are looking for another part of the outdoors to get involved with. Because and, COVID made them buy a fly rod. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've had a, a lot of fun with some of these people that, you know, I stopped the boat before we even get to some of the, you know, locations that I like and just teach them how to cast. For sure. And, you know, we, I've had, a, you know, maybe the most fun, you know, with people that have almost never even touched a fly rod. Yeah, yeah. You know? One of the things that I, I don't know whether I've said this on an episode or not, but like Ed and our buddy Frank were, uh, and I were down at, at uh, Jefferson Lake and Forest Park during the urban trout season. Mm-hmm. And we're, ha- you know, hanging out casting rods. I don't think right. we were catching much that day. Uh-huh. There was Too a, iced an, over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there was a, an older woman that, that was watching us and kind of like filming us, obviously, kind of Instagram style filming. Uh-huh. And I was like, you want to come down here and try this? And she was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and she came down, like grabbed my rod, started trying to cast, figured uh-huh. it out kind of. Right. Uh, but just had a ton of fun. So I could see for a lot of people, like that first hour, just kind of getting the basics, learning mm-hmm. how to cast would make the rest of the day way way better i mean i can't imagine what it would be like to be out in the boat with someone that can't at least put a fly within right a, a general region <laughs> that's got to be kind of uh-huh. a long day um it can be a lot of fun you got to be lighthearted about it you know you can't get aggravated with people for missing fish or you know you know making a poor cast here and there you know a lot of times it just means that i need to work a little bit harder at the oars you know what I mean? For sure. You know, or, or just spend a little bit more time covering the basics. But most, you know, most of the time being able to bomb a, a 70-foot cast or whatever is a really overrated skill, in my opinion. Most of the If you're time. not fishing big water out west or something like that. I mean, uh-huh. There's just not Around that many here. places to be casting 70 feet here. Mm-hmm. Right? A lot of my biggest fish have been, you know, a rod length out from the boat, you know, working, you know, a big streamer close to a log or something like that. For sure. At least with the bass, you know. Gotcha. It seems like, you know, if you're in a boat, they're not terribly spooky. Yeah, I feel like the smallmouth are definitely forgiving on the casting. Yeah, definitely. It's not like you're on the Missouri River in, you know, Mm -hmm. Montana doing 50-foot reach cast to the bank with a dry fly. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Very different from that around here. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) And especially if they're hungry, you know. Yeah. Brown bass are going to eat. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So how do you go from someone that loves to fish to someone that says, like, hey, I might want to be a guide to the point where you're like, yeah, I'm guiding clients. I'm actually out taking people around, and they're paying me to fish. Uh, I'm definitely still in that process of, you know, of making that transition, you know, just because it's still relatively, I've only been doing it for a year, you know, roughly. Um, but, you know, as I got kind of more and more excited about fishing, it seemed like, wow, this would be a, you know, a cool thing to somehow work on making a living out of. Um, so for a while, it was just kind of like something in the back of my mind that, you know, I would have loved to maybe do. And then, you know, over time that I was decided, okay, well, maybe if this is something I want to work towards, maybe I should start thinking about a social media presence, you know, things of that nature that really aren't my style in any way. Um, But it seems like, okay, I need to be somehow well-known if I want to, you know, try to guide people at some point. If you had to identify as an introvert or as an extrovert, which one of those two categories would you put yourself in? Or or would you kind of say you're more of a hybrid in the middle? I would definitely, probably hybrid, maybe a little bit heavier on the introvert side. You know, I could definitely have no issues with fishing by myself all day long and not seeing another person. I, you know, I I'd like say that. you're pretty hybrid, though. Yeah. You're like, 
you're down to crack a beer with some dudes you don't know and <laughs> for sure have some laughs. It's uh-huh. not like you're <laughs> yeah. It's not like Off you're just in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like I'm gonna go back to the cabin and tie flies at the end of the night, type of guy. You right, know what I mean? No, like, right. I would say that's pretty introvert. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Sure. That makes you're sense. definitely trying to get a couple of beers and maybe a whiskey and yeah, talk some shit. You know, heavy on the talking shit. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> So uh, as far as like a guide goes, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we got started as far as like you want to go and work with guides or fish with guides in other mm-hmm. places. What is it about? I mean, obviously you're already a pretty accomplished angler if you're taking people out and and, and doing that kind of a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it that you look to learn from other guides when you're out? Is it just how to fish different types of water, different types of fish, or is it picking up on nuances? What are you looking for them to teach you? Pretty much everything all the time. You should always be learning, <laughs> you know. Good answer. <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of where I'm at. But, but yeah, different water, you know, different species. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. But, but a little bit of everything. You know, you can always, you know, learn to cast a little bit better. And, you know, there, there's a million ways to spit, you know, skin a cat. So, you know, you might ask how, you know, Jack builds a leader and how I build a leader for throwing a streamer and get – two totally different answers and we're both going to tell you that our way is the way to do it for these for sure <laughs> reasons yeah i mean <laughs> i think i think if you go on a guide trip and you don't walk away learning something besides oh i caught these fish mm-hmm. it was a failed trip in you my wasted opinion. your day yes it was wasted money if you didn't ask yeah. questions Mm-hmm. about stuff that maybe you aren't even doing because it's not that time of the year and those bugs mm-hmm. aren't coming off or you aren't throwing streamers. But, you know, if you're not picking the guide's brain constantly mm-hmm. all day about stuff maybe that you're not even doing that day and taking that information away, like, you wasted your money, For sure. in Definitely. my opinion. Just yeah. firing off questions. Yeah. The best like, <laughs> I, sometimes I apologize to guides when I go on guide trips because I ask so many questions, you mm-hmm. know, or... Yeah, you know, or let, let me see how you're rigging that. Like, exactly. Like, can mm-hmm. I watch you rig that real slow? Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah for sure. You know, there's yeah. lots of that, little nuances yeah. that every single person does differently. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. So that makes the guide stay more fun, too. Absolutely. You know? It's cool with, when people interact with you. You know, it, yeah. it can be, you know, a little bit of a tougher day. When you're just in the boat rowing, and I would nobody have talks. to imagine that there's a bit of a groundhog day effect as like as a season rolls on, it's got to seem like it's. Con- I mean, obviously the season's changing, the weather's changing in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have the you know the phrase like, "Hey, if you don't like the weather, stick around for a while because <laughs> right. it's going to be different tomorrow." Uh, so obviously, like you know, the hatch change, the the dynamics of our rivers change throughout the year, and our fisheries change, but. I would imagine that, like, from day to day, a lot of the just the standard shit that you have to do, Mm -hmm. clean your boat, rig your rods, take care of your gear, prepare, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff has to get pretty repetitive and boring. So I would imagine, like, you do have to kind of infuse a little bit of enthusiasm in and Mm -hmm. try and make sure you're getting to know your clients and and having fun along the way. Uh Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's probably probably the most important part of it. Is it, you know, I've, I've had, I had some people tell me that it's two thirds, you know, relating with the clients, interacting with the clients, providing a good time and one third, the fishing is what you should focus on. And you know, that, that seems like it makes sense to me. Yeah. I would agree with that statement. I would say the fish from a guide's perspective is just icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. For For the clients. Mm -hmm. Sure. That's how it should be. The guides can't, Augie can't, you know predict the fish every day yeah for sure like you're gonna have bad guide trips but if the guy was cool all day at least you walk away stoked how much effort do you put into in preparing lunch um i i would say more than the average guide i think nice you know it, it's nothing crazy crazy i like charcuterie nice you know i like it it's not terribly hard to prepare you know it's not the cheapest thing in the world but for what you're getting it's not a crazy expensive meal. Yeah. It, and it tends to be a little bit light, you know. Since I like the, the smallmouth thing especially, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's 98 degrees outside and humid. So you're probably not wanting, like, a really heavy lunch all the time. Yeah, deli sandwiches are overrated, guys. Yeah. Guides. <laughs> you know? They are, man. Like, they're just... <laughs> you know, like a cheap, shitty schnooks Italian. Like, yeah. by the time it's out of the cooler, because you're eating later in the day than you probably should be anyway, because you've been fishing. Yep. 
That thing's just soggy. It's, it's dead. There's it's moisture just where it doesn't wet, belong. Wet, bready. Like I don't even care if you got a fancy Yeti and it's sitting up on the nice rack in those things. You know what I mean? <laughs> the humidity. It still just, just soaks that yeah. shit up. Like, <laughs> so I, what would you suggest for a fancy? I like charcuterie guy. a lot. Like I like Augie's move on that. I like, um, yeah, I like some of those some guy trips I've been on where they'll do like almost a charcuterie deal, but you'll get like, you know, some grapes, some cheese. Um, you know, there might be a hard boiled egg in there, which is weird in the summertime. I'm not that dude trying to eat that in the summer, but, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want know. A gummy mouth when it's 95 degrees. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I won't lie, dude. I'm terrible on the river when I'm on the water. It's just power bars, dude. Like, oh, so you're just going I'm, hardcore. I just go hard all day and like eat lunch. Like the sandwiches usually get made at the truck at the yeah. takeout most of the time. So one of the things that like really attracted to me, my my fiance when we met online is she, she had some photos of her like backpacking in legitimate national parks and very like scenic landscapes. And I was like, oh shit, she's actually done some legit trips. And when we first decided to go backpacking together, we were going out for two nights and I was doing all this food prep and getting all these different bruised dried meals and blah, 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 blah. And she was like, I don't understand why you need anything more than beef jerky and sunflower seeds. Hey, I'm backing that, man. I think <laughs> you're marrying a good lady, dude. She was like, good choice. She was like I me. literally did Glacier National <laughs> yeah. Park for four days and three nights of like 12, 13 mile a day backpacking on beef jerky and sunflower seeds. Not yeah. bad. I think it'll change the older I get. Yep. Yeah. Like I'm, when I can still grind like super hard all day at, you know, my mid to late 30s or whatever. 30 i'll be 37 soon um it's just like why not why yeah. waste mm-hmm. the time to eat on the river when right. you can still i can be eat at home like exactly <laughs> you know, Although, so. okay so i'll challenge that though like one of the things that ed so ed water's ed, important though yeah yeah you drink your freaking water, water boys okay you know? so so talk to me about that why is it so important just stay hydrated like it'll just crush you it'll crush you day. you'll mm-hmm. be you'll be wrecked like you might as well drink you'll feel like you drank a fifth of whiskey when you got off the river you know what i mean yeah. so kind of to that lesson i went fishing with my buddy frank ed and i's buddy last weekend uh and we went to to an undisclosed small creek in southern missouri that we won't talk about nice. um but basically i took a 14 ounce like narrow mouth uh nalgene bottle threw it in my bag i was like we're gonna go back to the car I'll refill when we get back to the car. That's enough water. No problem. Drank that throughout the morning. Got back to the car. Had a couple of bush beers for lunch. Didn't refill the bottle. Went back out. And by like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I was exhausted. Just completely worn out. And I couldn't quite figure out. I was like, why am I so fucking tired? This is ridiculous. I mean, we've been in the sun, and it's a little warmer than it has been in St. Louis. But then all of a sudden, about a day and a half later, it hit me. I was like, oh, I didn't drink any water. Yep. That's what it was. That's what crushed me. I just didn't it. drink any ruin you. for sure, dude. <laughs> that's all, that's all it was. I've learned my lessons the hard way, and that's why there's always Advil in the boat bag. Smart move, because you're just going to be off the water, headache, drive home, like you're feeling terrible. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. when you're building a charcuterie lunch, what is kind of the core? Like, how are you thinking about that? Like, what are you building for a charcuterie lunch? Um, pretty simple, just like some kind of summer sausage. Um, the one I've been running with this past year has mostly been like a mixture of pork and venison. Uh, and so then, is this homemade? Um, no, it, the deer I harvested, um, but Trenton Meatpacking over in Illinois Very did cool. it. And it's like a, it's a nice summer sausage. It's shelf stable, so you can take it right out Heck of the yeah. plastic and, and that's cool. tossed on the pantry shelf. Summer sausage is good, like even if it does get a little warm through the day. Yeah, you know, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and then like a good cheese, like a Gouda or something like that. And then uh, I normally like to have something pickled, be it like olives or maybe some good quality pickles or something like that. Um, and then like uh, grapes is probably my favorite of the fruits. You know, I like the grapes. I yeah, yeah. I tried like apples Using and oranges. Contained. Yeah, yeah. No, they're not. But nobody no wants trash. to peel an orange. Yeah. Nope. yeah, and like nobody wants to deal with like eating a whole apple. And I get that. So, and the, the grapes are pretty easy. I had a football coach in high school, uh, Coach Jim Hoot, shout out, RIP. Uh, <laughs> he played for, like, the Seahawks and the Buffalo Bills. He was an enormous human being. He was, like, 6'5", 340 pounds, and he was, like, 60 years old. Huge older guy. He ate Fuji apples from the top down. Pour like a horse. <laughs> Core seed stem everything. 
just crushed them from the top down. It oh. was amazing to watch. <laughs> Love That's that. awesome. It was just fantastic. So he wouldn't have the problem of like the remaining core, but but yeah, I, I appreciate the apples. It was funny. Uh, our buddy Brad, that, that mm -hmm. most of you guys know, um, invited me to go smallmouth fishing on the big on his raft. Mm -hmm. He's got a fly craft, I think, or maybe a stealth craft. I can't Smith remember what fly. Smith fly yeah. raft. That's what he's got. Uh, and I'd never done that before, and I'd watched huge fly fisherman Ben's video on like etiquette for fishing with a buddy, fishing out of a buddy's boat, and it was like you pay for gas, you pay for food, you pay for a couple of other things. That dude's got all the shit that you. Don't have to pay. True for story, it, dude. Right? For sure. Definitely the gas thing. Yeah, for sure. And so he, you know, I threw it out like, hey, man, I got gas money. I got this. And he's like, no, 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 we're doing shuttling. So you're driving your own car. You know, like I got that. But here's what I want for lunch. And it was a long list. <laughs> and it was like, good cheese, right. good this, good that. And I was like, what the fuck? And then finally, I got it all like put together. And it was a bunch of stuff because like, I don't eat pickles. So I didn't like a jar of pickles is nine bucks for you know good pickles. And I'm doing quote marks in the air for anybody listening. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know what good pickles are because I don't eat pickles. So I just have to buy the best jar of pickles that are at the store. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever had a $9 pickle before. I don't know. You know, like, I don't know. the Goddamn, that pickle just changed my life. That would be a good pickle. <laughs> and then it was like stone ground mustard for the pickles. Well, like, I don't like mustard. Yeah, that shit's getting a little too fancy for me so, for just two buddies on the river. But I'll tell day. you what. So then it like, does make a good day, though. Oh, dude. And then, like, Brad brought out some same thing, like venison sausage that he had harvested from a deer that he had harvested. And we stopped by this great spot, and then some of the babies pulled up, and then we just mm -hmm. had this great friggin' afternoon. We had a couple of dogs out there. We're having a good time. I was taking photos. And the whole thing came together, and I was like, oh, this is why you do that. Like, right. get it? Totally made sense. And then it, like, it actually made me glad that Brad asked for it. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, if he didn't do this, I would have brought a shitty Deerberg's or Schnook sandwich. Right. <laughs> and, like, some chips and been like, check out this good sandwich. Right, right, right. And right. it would have been pretty lame. So. I like the fried chicken move, too, though. That's, 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 that's a strong yeah, yeah. one, man. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. You know, it's cold fried chicken, cold fried chicken, <laughs> and like a good a like macaroni salad or mm -hmm. something like that. You know, like what was your thoughts on the macaroni salad tonight? It was good. Good. Where was Very that good. from? That was from I want to say Schnooks. Schnooks has got a, a fire one. like uh, smoked, uh, some type of smoked gouda macaroni. Oh, salad. dude, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I do that with fried chicken a lot on the floats. Their smoked Gouda mac and cheese yeah. is next level. Yep. So, anyway, I mean. For any of you that are out there listening in the different states, Schnooks is a grocery store in town that, right. like, dominates our local market, and they are the friendliest stores in town. Right. Um, so <laughs> Anyway, on the lunch thing. But yeah. back to the fish. I got a question for Augie. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. As far as, like, smallmouth guiding. For sure. Mm -hmm. Do you feel... I feel like you probably have to scout a lot more than like a trout guide just by the way those fish move. Yeah, because they really do make quite a migration throughout the year. Yeah. Maybe more than most people realize. I've seen it before and it's really cool to see. Yeah. I've During, seen I've seen a move like I yeah. It's like a fucking salmon run. Right. It's fucking nuts. Especially in some of these smaller Small creeks, creeks we have running these they can't top of these rivers, them. right. They they don't exist in those So creeks how much really. time do you think you're going out there? Without somebody in the boat, like, and making sure you're, like, staying on top of them. I like to try to be out once a week yeah. as best as I can in addition to guide trips. Like, guide trips aside, I like to try to be on the water once a week. Um, and I get away from that a little bit in the wintertime because that's when I do a lot more of my trout fishing. Sure. But, like, summertime, spring fall you know i like to try to get out once a week if i can yeah i feel like that's got to be one of the biggest differences as far as like guiding for smallmouth versus trout you know it's mm -hmm. just that extra time you're probably putting in to make sure you're always knowing where they're going yeah because they really thanks aj <laughs> they really do they they move a lot yeah yeah and, and i can't claim to be a master of them in the winter time that's still for sure something man that i'm not comfortable taking you know, without really being clear with, with people that we could have a tough, tough day. Sure. In December or whatever. Um, I think somewhere down like, like the 11 point, 
Yeah. I think there's a few places. In. You know, there's places in Missouri. There's a few places. And I think that, we're fair to call that river out. Like anybody can go yeah, there. And I think, you know, Brian Sloss guides down there for 11, po- or, yeah. you know, small mouth in the winter. And he's a great one to go with. That yeah. Dude and can does put well. you on fish. <laughs> so, but yeah, like I'm, I'm sure like, yeah, to unlock some of the secrets of like, you know, some of the streams. I mean, how open are you on what you're guiding on river wise and name wise? I think pretty you're, pretty, you're pretty open, yeah. right? I, I mean, yeah. The, you know, Merrimack, it's not a secret. Big, yeah. Gasconade, all the stuff that's reasonably close to the St. Louis area. Sure. But I mean, they're just the Merrimack itself, the main sim of the Merrimack, not including tribs. There's like over 130 miles of what I would call quality smallmouth trophy, smallmouth water. So, you know, I don't feel like you're really. You know, burning anybody's spots when you say, "Yeah, we fished the Merrimack." You right, know, right. We're, we're on a whole river. At some <laughs> yeah, point. but you're probably. I mean, you're focusing what? Maybe on twenty miles, fifteen, um, twenty, thirty miles, or what? What would you say, like on that? What, oh, what, what stretch would you probably forty ish? Okay, there, there's some upper stuff that I like, um, and then it, during parts of the year, you know, that that trout, that red ribbon stretch, I fish for trout. Um, and then there's probably 20 or 30 miles closer downstream to the St. Louis area that I spend a lot of time on too. So there, I mean, there's probably, there's, it's probably 20 to 40 miles yeah. depending on time of year on the Merrimack, you know, that I spend a lot of time on. And part of that's just convenience because there's not great day floats if you're running shuttles on it. Um, there's a few, but there's not very many. There's a lot of long stretches yeah. and I do run a jet boat. So that opens up a lot more, but some of that stuff is stuff that I'll run with a friend or I'll run with my dad who I fish with a lot. Um, but it's not all stuff I'm comfortable taking clients on sure. because it can be pretty sketchy. S- some of the stuff you have to run right. to get a, j- I mean, you're some running tight corners, tight to the bank, full throttle. Yeah. Overhanging trees. Sometimes jumping logs or sliding over gravel bars. It's not something that you can take just anybody. Right. With. You know, I mean, it's not that bad, but you're yeah, somebody who's never been on a boat before is going to shit themselves. If you're, yeah. Uh-huh. If you're running in four inches of water. Uh huh. <laughs> right. And, and I don't like the idea of making people feel uncomfortable. So we stay away from anything that you're I'm not going to take old Joe and Carol jumping gravel bars. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not the day they want. That's not a relaxing day on the water. <laughs> I don't know about Carol might want that. I don't know about Joe. <laughs> Sounds like a good time to me. So I don't think I've ever told the story, but I, I do like a guy's float trip every summer with a bunch of dudes from my high school. And a couple of years ago we were mm-hmm. down on the current and a couple of guys decided to bring bottle rockets mm-hmm. and normally everybody's drinking all day. Everybody's having a good time. You know, substances get consumed, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Uh, about like 1130 at night after a, you know, 530 AM wake up to get down to the current river. It's three hours from here mm-hmm. down there for like an 830 put in, you know, it's a long day by 1130 time rolls around. So we're all pretty hunkered down. Like everybody's going to sleep at like 1130. One bottle rocket goes off. You're like, Oh, somebody brought bottle rockets. <laughs> and you're thinking like, maybe they got a couple of packs or something like this. It'd be like a little quick war or something. One bottle rocket every 45 seconds to like three minutes for like an hour and a half. And so what happens is you start to get into this mental space where you're like, is that the last one? Like t- Chinese you, water you torture. swear me. there can't be another one. It's like right? hitting the snooze button. Just oh, my <laughs> God. It's just an absolute nightmare. So we go through the whole night. Finally, it peters off. The guys are just starting to freak out at these two idiots that are sending off bottle rockets. We get up the next day. We make breakfast. We break camp. We go around this bend in the river, and there's these two old couples. That have been camping. I shit you not. It was Joe and Carol. Joe and and Carol are 150 yards down the river. Enjoying nature. That went out for a quiet, scenic night on the river. And these 15 assholes just (laughs) ruined their night. (laughs) And in all reality, two assholes ruined their night. But I can't imagine if I was Joe. 55 years old, just sitting there in a tent. Oh, just... my, my Joe's like 75. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going with his Joe. I'm thinking, yeah. well, maybe they just took their hearing aids out. And they were cool, you know? <laughs> oh, my I'm God, thinking he did so like bad. two or three tours in Nam. He's real dry. Out. You know, and Carol's kind of spunky. That's oh. like who I'm envisioning. God. See, my Joe and Carol's more of like a granola Joe and Carol. Okay. They've done like a quite Clovers. a bit of con- Yeah. Right. A lot of canoe trips together. They wear sandals like nine months a year. 
They're wearing Tevas when it's cold outside. <laughs> Tevas kind of. and wool socks. They got the couple. family <laughs> thing on the back of the Subaru, the sticker, but it's like eight dogs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no kids. Exactly. There might be a raccoon on yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. wall. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were talking earlier, like how many, what percentage of your clients right now are the Joe and Carols and, you know, kind of the first timer beginners and how many of them are kind of experienced fishermen that just need to get out, need access, need a boat? Um, most, most of them are pretty inexperienced at this point. Gotcha. Um, a, a few Joe and Carols, but that's definitely a minority. Um, but most of them are somewhere in between like, uh, like semi experienced, like they fish a few times a year or maybe once a month. You know, and they're just looking for somebody to take them out in the boat. You know, th- there's a fair amount of that that bracket. Sure. And, th- and then a lot of the, hey, this is new. You know, I want somebody to show me the ropes. You know, point out some spots I can get to so I can come back and wade on my own or something like that. What do you want to get to eventually? Like, what's your ideal client long term, five years down the road? If, if you've got a full book of business, what's kind right. of the perfect client for you? Well... I, I have mixed feelings about that because I've, I've had a blast with my new people. Oh, cool. They listen so good. Like somebody that total blank slate, they show up and they just want to learn. You know, I can take them and then, you know, if they're actually listening and applying themselves, it's unbelievable how well they can do with fishing when someone's actually listening to your advice. You know, sometimes you take somebody out that's already got an ego, you know, and knows, you know, everything or whatever. You know, then they're not always as inclined to listen to you, you know, and, and then they might not, you know, leave a fly soak whenever you tell them to leave it soak or strip set when you tell them to strip set or, you know, something like that. Um, so, so, th- but, you know, the, on the same note, when you have somebody experienced in the boat, you know, and a big fish eats something and they're the most likely one to connect with it, it's pretty cool and it's a blast when you have people landing a lot of fish are quality fish, you know. That's just, again, like we said earlier, it's icing on the cake, but it's fun. So sure. I, I, I hope for, a, like, a balance, you know. It, it's cool when you get cool guys that are that are good and also cool guys, you know, so that way you have the opportunity to put a bunch of fish in the boat maybe. But on the same note, it's so much fun having people that are new to it and excited about it and all that, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, like, the new people too, you know, like the super noobs are so ecstatic about, a twelve right. inch smallmouth. Right, yeah. They catch a twelve inch smallmouth or like a nasty looking rainbow yeah. from Merrimack. And they're just like <laughs> like they, you know, they're they're cool taking a picture of this like thing that, you know, isn't as good looking as right. like a creek chub. Like an eight inch <laughs> they're stoked on an eight inch Kentucky hit. Right. Like that. It's yeah. just <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, that thing should hit the fryer because it doesn't right. belong here. Their expectations. <laughs> but they're fired up, so that's cool. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. <a> big yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having a good time. That that's the big thing. For sure. So uh, uh, how many of your clients are coming out with the expectation that they want to harvest fish, that they want to take fish home, and how much of it is them kind of recognizing that what you're about is, you know, catch and release? Or, you know, how, how do you balance that? I, I normally, if it's not obvious to me that they want to catch and release, I try to make it, you know, clear pretty quickly that, that that's what we do. I'm not against harvesting fish. Um, but our native smallmouth, they can't handle it. They don't get stocked. You know, the regulations are barely strict enough to allow them to continue. The only reason smallmouth are even still here is because not that many people target them. Right. If we all went out and harvested the the smallmouth that we can legally harvest, they'd have been gone a long time ago. Yeah. Things aren't strict enough, you know. So, so we're lucky to have what we have as far as it. So, you know, it's not that I'm totally against eating fish, but the smallies can't handle it. And even our trout, you know, I, we don't, they don't breed on their own enough or get stocked heavy enough to really support that in the rivers. Anyhow, we have trout parks and other places. And there's put and take fishery right there up the river where you can go. Uh huh. If you you want to pay for your tag and take four fish home for the day that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can't catch those fish, I'm sorry. You know, (laughs) you don't deserve to be eating fish or catching. I was, I was talking to my buddy James from about trout and he was like, I don't eat my coworkers. And I was like, that's a pretty good way of putting it. I like that. Idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do, I haven't really pushed it yet, but I, one thing I do s- tell people they're very welcome to do is at least in the Merrimack drainage, harvest the Kentuckys yeah. because they're not native in, in the Merrimack River. And they're moving in, you know, I think as a result of 
humans moving them some, probably global warming as well, you know, being a bit of the problem there. Um, but they're definitely displacing the native smallmouth. Um, you know, I grew up around here fishing for them. I haven't noticed much of a change in my life, but like when my dad was a kid, he said that Cena, Kentucky was a rarity, if not non-existent. Gotcha. Until yep. like the 1990s and, or and something like that. And for the like noobs that. out there that aren't, you know, familiar with Kentucky's, got to give the, the people out there that don't know as much about that kind of an idea of what you're talking about. Spotted bass, like a largemouth mm-hmm. bass, but a river running, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, they, they, they look very similar to a largemouth. A little leaner. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, they don't tend to get as big. They're very prolific. They, they don't quite live in, like the largemouth in a river, you'd be surprised to see them at anywhere other than a real slow pool. But the Kentuckys, you'll see them in a pool, but you'll also see them in faster water like you'd see a smallmouth, too. Gotcha. And they'll even interbreed with the smallmouth, and they'll mm-hmm. outbreed them, you know? Yeah, gotcha. Like, so. yeah. Did you guys see the recent episode of Meat Eater uh, Cal's Week in Review in Idaho and what they're doing with the rainbow population on the Snake River? I no, think they're I taking didn't. them all out of there. Yeah. so You're getting paid to fish for them, right? Yeah. I didn't so, see that, but so I listened to a podcast about it. They've got a program now where the, the number one priority on the Snake River in Idaho is mm-hmm. to preserve their native cutthroat population. Okay. And their rainbow population is outbreeding and basically creating sterile fish in a number of generations. Because they interbreed and, as well. Exactly. Right, right with the cutties. Exactly. And they carry these cut bows, and mm-hmm. these cut bows can't, can't breed with each other. Oh. And so what they've done is they've done a no-limit, no-size uh, regulation on rainbows. Wow. And it's all about the biomass of cutthroats, native cutthroats mm-hmm. in that river. And so what they believe is that if they get as many rainbows out of that river as they can, then they're going to see an increase in the biomass of the cutthroats, the native cutthroats. Mm -hmm. And so it's a program now where you cut off the head of every single fish that you catch, Mm -hmm. that you harvest. You put it in a plastic bag with your tag and you drop it. They've got all these basically trash cans all over these water uh, frontages. Uh They come by and pick them up so often and they literally deposit $5 in your bank account for every single rainbow that you deposit. Really? (laughs) And then a shit ton of them are tagged Uh between $50 and $1,000 a fish. Wow. They did that with brown trout on some other rivers out west before, too. Wasn't Arizona, isn't that... Isn't there a fishery in Arizona or somewhere in the southwest that yeah, they're doing that with right now, too? Yeah, I think so. Um, but, I mean, if you go out and catch 20 rainbows in a day, you're making 100 bucks and a chance. At well, they did that on some rivers, one specifically. Hundreds that I, to thousands yeah. of dollars. <laughs> one that I specifically fish a lot in the summer. It's a small river, and I won't name it, for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. But they did that, and the MDC did that years ago, not to kill them, but... They tagged a lot of fish, and there was $100 fish. There was $75 fish, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, took a photo of the tag or cut the tag off. And, um, yeah, I mean, every one of those fish got caught besides one $100 fish. That's wild. Wow. That's know? awesome. And that yeah. was just to see, I think, uh, I think they tagged them, you know, in the lower watershed. And then, you know, people were catching them way or high. You know, you told mm-hmm. them location, et cetera. But uh, I wish they were doing more of that, really. Mm-hmm. Well, and part of the program, right, is yeah, a scientific too, study. Like, paid to get to catch fish. Well, yeah, it's just you know, it's how do you get how do you engage with this younger group of anglers that might be not so. I'm on MDC's email list, which is Missouri Department of Conservation. If right. you don't know what we're talking about, or I'm not, you know, on a Trout Unlimited where there are conservation issues that they're trying to collect data from boots on the ground. I don't think there's you know, even my age or younger than me or as involved with some of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm probably most interested in trying to figure out through the podcast this year is everybody grows up in a very different culture with a cultural background difference and everybody grows up with different uh, standards of ethics, right? So one of the kind of examples I used is if you are from Idaho or from New Mexico, you're probably going to be a lot less inclined to believe in harvesting of fish because they have really small populations and really limited fisheries. And then especially trout, right? Exactly for trout. Right. And then if you talk to, you know, someone from Northern Minnesota and they're just hammering lake trout out of, you know, Lake Superior that's frozen over during the winter all year long. And that's just standard for their culture, for their area, for their geographical area. How do we kind of reconcile across the internet, right, across Instagram, for example, with everybody's differences in opinions, right? So, like, I have a buddy 
who, uh, you know, shout out to Purist on the Fly. I don't know if you guys follow him, but uh, he's on this crusade to cancel tailing gloves, right, and to just mm-hmm. absolutely get rid of those. I understand that they're pretty common practice in Michigan. Real common. It I was w- just up there. Right, <laughs> right. So uh, they're obviously their Department of Conservation has some sort of belief that that's a, a ethical practice. How do you reconcile those two things, like from geographical area to geographical area, culture to culture? Sure. I'm always fascinated by that because, like, certain cultures just harvest the hell out of fish. They eat fish. And some places it makes – I mean, of course, some places, too, it makes more sense to harvest fish, right? Like, Mm -hmm. in Maine, you're – Maine, like, smallmouth are like Kentuckys. Right. Like, they're – you know, Mm -hmm. as many as you can keep and kill a day. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're not native Oh, yeah, they're not native there. They wipe out brook trout, like Mm – bad deal right so you know obviously some ecosystems you know i'm by no means a biologist but you know if you're smart enough to understand some ecosystems smallmouth are supposed to be there right sometimes Mm -hmm. they're not sometimes lake trout i mean out on like you know the shoshone river in wyoming like they put lake trout in that bottom lake on that river and they kill all those cutbows when they breed you know or whatever which was to, to manage something else i mean We've fucked it's up so, so much shit on so many <laughs> ecosystems, right? That trying to fix it. But I mean, speaking to that though, what Augie, what do you think like as far as like a Merrimack watershed or mm-hmm. a big river watershed here in Missouri that you're guiding on from a environmental standpoint with like ag runoff or like mm-hmm. how do you feel like those rivers are doing and the fisheries are holding up just for the amount of time you fished them? Yeah. I, I don't think I've necessarily seen anything go downhill at this point. Um, I definitely don't think that I've had enough years to really say, you know, what's happening with those fisheries, yeah. though. Because a lot of that stuff, you know, might take 50 or 100 years to see the effects of the problems. Um, I think agricultural practices are, dras- are improving drastically. Um, I, you know, live pretty much right in the big river watershed which is a tributary of the merrimack for anybody that's listening that doesn't know and you know i know personally a lot of the people that farm that that valley and you know over the course of the past like two to three generations of farmers they've gone from you know tillage where every year they run a till through everything all their fields and turn them over before they plant to no-till agriculture where they don't ever cut the dirt uh, and they always have a crop there even in the winter time um so because of practices like that we are going to see a whole lot less nutrients um leaving the farm fields and entering the river because you know there's always a crop there to hold those nutrients and, and you know prevent topsoil from erosion uh, you know from eroding and you know you know, increasing the nitrogen and phosphorus levels in the rivers and things like that. I think things are probably looking better now than they probably were 50 years ago, just because of how practices are. I think we still have a long way to go. You know, uh, there is, you know, lots of shit that gets dumped in the river. You know? For sure. I mean, the big river is freaking gnarly, dude. It's spots. pretty bad. Like, I probably, and if I had kids, wouldn't let them swim in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, out towards, like, Dittmer, DeSoto area, like, where all that lead's in there still, right. you know. But, dude, yeah. there's huge fish through there. It's good. Yeah, it's a good you know? fishery. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah they, the lead t- tailings blew out, like, you know, I think that was, that that the was 60s pretty, or 70s or I think was it was it? early 60s. OK, they, they they said it turned, you know, bright red for quite, you know, a while. Yeah. Uh, the better part of a summer. Um, I don't know that the, the lead so much what I would be concerned about nah, at this yeah, point yeah. so much as like and not even like large businesses or like farms or anything like that causing big problems. It'd be private property owners <laughs> dumping things like cars for sure and w- whatever else they have that they feel like dumping. Well, the big thing I've seen recently, too, like a small creek that's like, you know, you're just walking and wading this thing. But it's, mm-hmm. just, it's you know, I've been fishing it since I was 13 years old. Uh-huh. Um, Phenomenal smallmouth fishery, but I can say for a fact it has. I've seen year classes where it. I feel like you know either somebody came in and kept a bunch of fish, mm-hmm. and you're only catching like eight and ten inch fish, and then fifteen inch 
to 20 inch fish you're not catching like right there's big gaps and uh-huh. then, like, i just went down there a couple of weeks ago and there's a landowner that owns some property on both sides of the creek and he's been pulling gravel out of there and he was only doing it in one zone and he's moved upstream and it's just like this isn't a big piece of you know, you can't right. move the entire creek bed around it's and expect. It's not a fucking quarry. No. Right. You know? But it is. He's got a bulldozer down in there, and it's yes. his right. You know, like, I don't know what those rights are, and I talked to some MDCs guy, guys about it, and they said you definitely have to go down a rabbit hole to deal with that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, man. It's right above one of my favorite holes. Uh-huh. Like, that right. thing silted in. Right. And just totaled it out. Yeah. Uh-huh. So... That kind of stuff, like you said, private landowners, like on some of those, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that I on mean, top of poaching. I mean, poaching, I've had my license checked like three times since I started fishing a lot. And I'm on the water like at least that? one day a week. Yeah. You know, 12 months out of the year. And I've had my license checked like three times in the past yeah. decade. I mean, I tip my hat to Missouri Department of Conservation. I think yeah. they're, a, they do an amazing job on so many levels. They really but do. I would love to get checked three or four more times a year. Yeah, I'd like it. I would love it if I got checked every time I went fishing. Yeah, or at I least mean, every I've other time. Never been asked for a fishing license, right? Not ever. Ever. I've mm-hmm. seen some sketchy shit going on out there too. Yeah, you know, you could poach so much, and you know, it, it's really a shame to see what people could maybe get away with. Like, yeah, we're really relying on people's good nature, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. You know, so one of the things that I learned recently, and you know, I could be off on this, but it came from a fairly reliable source, is that apparently the MDC is like one of the better conservation departments in the entire United States. They really are wonderful. And, yeah. and from what I've understood is that a big part of that is because I want to say it was in the 70s or their 80s, they uh, got some funding where essentially half percent of every sales tax that we, you know, mm-hmm. or, or that we incur out of our 8%, half percent of that goes directly to the MDC and mm-hmm. it cannot be screwed with. It can't be touched by anybody. I've heard there's some legislation in place right now or that's at least being proposed where they're trying to get some kind of tentacles in there and start grabbing some of that money from other departments and other areas. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. I would like to defend that. Yeah. MDC (laughs) is apparently like one of the models that other departments Mm -hmm. of conservation around the country use as, you know, kind of a template for, you know, best practices and what to Mm -hmm. do. So yeah, I mean, look at the deer hunting and the turkey hunting in the state of Missouri. Mm -hmm. People come from everywhere. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of that stuff has really turned around. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't kill big, you, the turkey population. I'm not a big turkey hunter, but like I know for a fact, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, those that turkey population wasn't anything like that. Yeah. It, it, I don't know if it's what, it, what it is right now isn't what it was 10 years ago, but it's still way better than it was like 30 to 40. Right. Yeah. You they know? were like damn near extinct. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Up until like, you know, I think they were restocked somewhere in the 60s or 70s yeah. and exploded through the 1980s. And yeah. And then I did see that they were, I mean, obviously they've just reintroduced elk mm-hmm. uh, in one county in, in southern Missouri. I think it was Shannon County or mm-hmm. Shenandoah County. Uh, and then I saw that Had they the were, first season for elk this year. Yeah, exactly. Like people killed elk exactly. in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was four tags or something like that, right? Yeah, uh-huh. I think, I think so. Uh, and we got a bear I, season coming up, too. I did see that, yeah. This they're year. about to open a black bear season uh-huh. for the first time in quite some time. So they've so. done a heck of a job. So, yeah, they. I mean, when yeah, when you talk about MDC, like... They've done a phenomenal job on a lot of other levels besides just fisheries management, right? right? Like, um, but they only have so much. They do great with what they got. Exactly. But it would be nice if we could give them more yep. to have more to work with. For sure. I think you just have to have stewards out on the river, like, mm-hmm. looking out, really, because those guys can't be everywhere. So mm-hmm. for uh, for the guys that are here, right, this is the, the kind of million-dollar question is, is how do we create better stewardship is it shitting on people on Instagram? <laughs> is it crushing everybody from posting? You don't posting think it's that one. <laughs> right? And, and I mean, look, like... The Instagram shit's crazy to me. It is. It's a so wild I post. I, I'm not saying I'm not on Instagram. Yeah. And I'm not saying I don't post fish on Instagram. Mm-hmm. But the level of cringe from pe- some people on Instagram of them, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it's them clout chasing or, like the clicks or the likes or, you know, it's like for me, I post fish on Instagram sometimes almost as a blog reference for like, what time of the year was that day killer last year? Holy shit. It was, I have a photograph, you know, and I will write stuff down in journal. It was, the river was at 350 CFS. This was the temp. Mm -hmm. We fucking smacked them. It's important to have, I can go back and look at Instagram real quick and be like, oh yeah, that was that day. Yeah. That date. 
That, I remember yeah. that fish. I remember. That yep, exactly. How oh. often do you reference those journals weekly? Oh yeah, that's just <laughs> huge, really? dude. Do you yeah. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, I've re- and I, I've you've had I've had years where we go, especially in the spring, those exact same couple of weeks in the water flow. We get those exact same rains, and you mm-hmm. hit these exact same floats with those same temps. And you smack the cool shit Cool shit happens. You pattern. It's a pattern. I mean, that's fish cool. are patternable, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, that's how I've always kind of used Instagram. I mean, I don't mind posting big fish on Instagram and people click it on it. You know, of course, it's going to make every anybody that catches a big fish and posts on there feel good, right? But I think at the same time, as far as being stewards on the water worth like poaching and shit and back to that, like, it's just you got to be careful too. You you know, like I think, um, I think a guy in Missouri called the cops or something on this guy that poached a deer and his cabin got burned down. Yeah, is what mm-hmm. I heard. I'm not sure on that, but I heard that. I mean, sketchy yeah. shit can happen yeah, in some of those, mm-hmm. on some of those, you know, in the Ozarks. You know, yeah, like you got to be careful. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I mean, I've done a decent amount of backpacking in southern Missouri, and I leave my cars or, you know, my car in some very remote places. And it just makes me think, like, man, it would be so easy to drive past this car at night and just smash the windows in and see what else is inside. And it happens, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. for There's, sure. It just hasn't happened to you yet, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. or me. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I guys were getting fly rods stolen out of uh, access on the current river, like, a lot years ago. It was, like, a continuing. And how do they correct that? They finally catch the guy. Gotcha. He's smoking meth or tweaking or whatever. And gotcha. He's an idiot. Trail you know? cams. Yeah. <laughs> I think being a steward, sometimes it's just education. Like, I was getting ready to run a guide trip one morning, and I was there early setting up the boat, and there was a family, just a parents and a couple of kids hanging out at the boat ramp and fishing a little bit, and they had a stringer there hanging in the water, you know, with a small mouth on it, not a legal fish. And... uh I was, you know, putting the boat, and I was like, hey, how you guys doing today? You know, you guys catch anything, blah, 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 just kind of small talk. And I noticed their fish. I was like, hey, it's a nice fish, but um, it's actually not legal. You know, you could get in quite a bit of trouble for having that. And they were, you know, very quick to release it. I I saw them do it. They put it right back. I don't, hopefully it made it. It didn't look like it had been on the stringer for a real long time. Right. So it might have made it. But I, I don't think there was any kind of malice whatsoever and i don't think the con and they were very quick to release it and then that kind of opened up the conversation for me to talk to him about how old he's like that fish isn't legal but that thing's still eight years old right you know that for sure you know that took a long time to get that thing that's going to make you like two fish sticks you know like that thing is you know really belongs as a sport fish that could maybe be released and you know there's other things we could keep that can withstand that and had i just seen that and then jumped down the the kid's throat you know, like what you see on social media sometimes, I think our conversation might not have moved in a very positive direction. Right. Well, I think most of the general public, too, when you tell them, like, somebody who doesn't fish on the regular, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, you fish. There's a lot of ignorance out there. Well, it's just people can't even get through their head, like, oh, my God, you don't keep them? Right. Right. Like, the catch and release thing still, I think, in, like, a state like Missouri is still kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, when I grew up, when I grew up fishing, I fished with my grandma and my grandpa, and they kept every single fish they caught. Yeah. That shit was getting cleaned on the bank at the lake <laughs> that day and getting put in a milk carton, and it's getting put in the deep freezer. Uh, I have a buddy mm-hmm. that just went down to Florida with his family, and they went uh, charter fishing mm-hmm. both days. They caught, they, they came home with 50 pounds of processed fish. So fillets and everything. And his buddy goes on Facebook, dude, definitely send me, you know, hit me up with some of that when you get back. And he goes, if I can figure out how to get it home, I'll definitely hit you up. And I was like, what are we doing here? Like, (laughs) why did you just kill 50, 60 fish for no apparent reason other than it just seemed like a good time? Right. right. And, you know, I'm going to, like, have a little chat with that dude about, like, hey, man, did you end up getting that fish home? And if he's like, yeah, dude, I got it FedExed. We got it on ice. It's in my freezer. I'm distributing it to all my friends. We're going to have a Seems excessive, fish 50 pounds. Then I'll That's be a like, lot. cool. Yeah. Now, this is the kind of dude that could have, like, a big party and do a fish fry for 50 pounds of fish and 
you know, I, I don't know if you're going to fry 50 pounds of open water like tuna and yeah. that kind of stuff, like mahi. But <laughs> well, a lot of that saltwater <laughs> stuff, too. you got to gaff those fish half the time when you land them. It, exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're killing them no matter what. Exactly. So I haven't you know, saltwater fished enough to know, like, the ins and outs of all that. But mm-hmm. the, the bigger sport fishing stuff seems, I mean. They it's a blood sport, a, dude. They had a grouper <laughs> that they had, like, a paint stick hook in that thing and i was just like Ugh. And definitely a lot of blood i mean i make it down to florida like once a year and do mostly diy fish and i've been on some guide trips down there but i mean la- like last year i was down there and i think the year well maybe last year was the first year but like trout you couldn't keep any trout anymore i'm not talking like you know i'm talking sea trout right mm-hmm. uh snook season clothes like that shit's all getting redfish none like yeah you know, or those slots had all changed. Like that stuff's been slowly getting beaten up. And did you watch the fly fishing film tour? Uh, I haven't seen the newest bass? one. I haven't seen the newest there's one. A, there's uh-uh. a film in there about the declining populations of sea bass, like off the east coast, like stripers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know I have a buddy that fishes out there, and he's like, dude, I haven't caught giant ones like I did five years ago. The last five years, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he's still catching giants. I mean, but not as many. You know, for sure. Um, yeah, for sure. So, Augie, how do people find you? Uh, tell, tell us about your guiding service. How do people find you and how do people hire you? Um, so mostly it's like if they actually want to book a trip, it's normally like direct, you know, conversation over the phone or something like that. But as far as just finding me, you know, Instagram or my website, MissouriFlyLifeGuideCo.com um, is normally how people find me. Uh, both the fly shops in town have a stack of my cards and they do a great job, you know, handing those out for me and helping out there. For sure. So that's big. But, you know, normally people come across me through the Instagram or the website and, and then contact me through there and then we then we have a phone conversation from there. Gotcha. Well, we'll have links to all of your channels and the website and everything like that in the description for awesome. the podcast and on Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So. Jack, anything before we finish? I got one thing. Yeah. Let's talk about tipping your guide. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Seriously. 20%, dude. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. I'm serious. It's tip your industry. fucking guide, man. Yeah. <laughs> like Some people don't if, know that. They just don't know that that's if they like charge you, yeah, you know, 400, you give them another 100. Like, yeah. 500, fuck 20. I mean, give them more if it was a kick-ass day. Yeah. Those guys are working their ass off. Mm-hmm. They're out there every day. Their hands are callous as shit from rowing. Mm-hmm. or, you know, dealing with the motor the night before because there was something wrong with it. Like, uh-huh. I just don't understand, like, how people think they can go out for a service with somebody like Augie who busts his ass all day, you know, and then... Well, so let us let me ask that question. Is like, what is the... I think is 20% is the minimum. So what's the design, then, in not just charging what it should, what it should cost? Like, what's Because the then I think you open it up to... I don't know. T- take that question, Augie. Go for it. I, I think it's just... I think it's a, it's a service industry, like being gotcha. a, a, a waitress or a waiter or something like that. So we should like just that. understand it like that versus thinking about it any other way. Uh-huh, yeah. That's fair. I, I think is, is, I haven't thought a ton about that. But and I mean, yeah. I've been on a lot of guide trips, not a ton, but a mm-hmm. fair amount. And I'll, I'll even play, you know, with the guide. I'll be like, hey, dude, like every fish, you know, if I'm out west, let's say, and a 20-inch mm-hmm. fish is fairly common, but, you know, you get up into that 22 to 20. Every time I... Every 22-inch fish today, you get an extra 10 bucks. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every 24-inch you get t- fish I catch, you get, you know, just yeah. to make it fun. And, it, uh-huh. I, and I kind of like to gamble, too. <laughs> and it's a gamble that's beneficiary for both parties, so it makes it, like, good fun in the boat. But just tip your guide. Like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine walking away at the end of the day and not seeing a tip. And I know people do that shit. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah the expectation Sometimes. should be, like, Build that into the cost of your trip, and then yeah. if the guide really, really sucks, then you can start to draw off of what you yeah. should be tipping them. But just go mm-hmm. in with the if the service felt if you felt like the service was shitty and the guy was kind of a bummer, then still tip him. Mm-hmm. You know, we should fair. work hard. Yeah, we, we you, know? are, you are paying us to like yeah. take yeah. you fishing, like. No, no, I mean, I think here's here's the thing. I think if, you know, and a lot of the guides out there, when you're talking about a full day of fishing, right, they're not putting in the eight hours. 
that you're going to be in the boat with them. They're putting in 10, 12, 13, maybe even 14 hours between mm-hmm. preparing their gear, preparing their boat, getting everything ready, making your fucking lunch, mm-hmm. doing all the things that they have to do for the day. When you break that down, even if it's a $500 or $550, mm-hmm. you know, plus the tip, you're still talking 50, 60 bucks an hour, which is what any expert in any industry mm-hmm. would start at. 100%. Getting right. paid, right? So anybody in any kind of skilled industry would expect that. And especially when they're providing equipment and expertise and access and all these things that fly fishing guides do, that's super fair money. Super mm-hmm. fair. You would expect and if to pay I've, that for anybody else. Yeah. I mean, the trips I've been on, when let's say it was like a $500 trip for the day. If the dude busted his ass and I couldn't believe how well he rode, and, like, stayed engaged all day, and I didn't feel like he was, like, slacking right. or jaded at some point in the day. Mm-hmm. Dude's getting 150 Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, if you're, you're vibing that. with the dude, you're going to, like, show your respect yeah. with the tip. So, mm-hmm. um, so Augie, we'll finish with this. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh-huh. how does a client be the best client possible for you? Like, what are the things that you really look for that you're going like, God, I hope that guy fucking comes back next year because that's right. awesome. <laughs> it, enthusiasm is probably like the biggest thing. You know, people just having a good time, you know, talk, it, being friendly, you know, having a good time with you. It's, you know, kind of fun bullshitting back and forth or giving each other shit. I mean, it, at the end of the day, the coolest thing is if you just feel like you're out on a trip with your friends, you know, it, that that's the coolest. It, you know, even if you get skunked, or, you know, or if you do great, regardless, the, the coolest thing is at the end of the day, you feel like you're out with your buddies on the water. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Very cool. Gents, Ed, anything to finish with? I think I'm good. A man of few <laughs> words. I appreciate that sometimes. Classic. <laughs> Jack, Augie, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate you guys for ha- coming on another episode of the Podcast. Thanks for having us. Great night, guys. Rock and roll.